Let's add up to Mark chapter 1. The title of the talk today is Here Comes a Miracle. Mark chapter 1. We'll start in verse 21. We're going to do a fair bit of reading to start off with. Uh, Mark 1 verse 21. Now they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up, actually we might skip down, Oh, no, let's keep going. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. <clears throat> and as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. 
And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Skip to chapter 3. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Miracles, miracles everywhere. Anyone out of breath? You just need a little relax now? It's an amazing start to Mark, isn't it? It's a fantastic thing. It's an amazing start to Jesus' ministry. I gather it was like that for most of the three and a half years that he spent uh, on this earth. Well, he spent more than that, but you know what I mean, doing, doing what he was uh, called to do. In Psalm 107 verse 20, it says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And this is the fulfillment. We're reading that now. Uh, as you read through this, there's just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And these are just the ones that are recorded. And what happened? They attracted people. They brought a lot of joy. That's what miracles do. You, try and just imagine that the crowds uh, on the shore of Galilee or in some busy town, you know, uh, I don't know what sort of traffic they had, but the traffic would have, wouldn't have been able to get through some parts of town when Jesus was there because of the crowd that was there. When they heard he was at a certain house, they all went and crowded the house. They all got into the house. Some people had to come down through the roof to get to him. It's just a, it's an amazing scenario, amazing situation. And he just kept going and going and going. Attracted lots of people and it brought joy to many. It brought people to Christ. It brought people to God. That's what miracles are for. I wonder if we can recall all the miracles Jesus did. Let's see. Who's got one? Come on, throw them at me. Yes. Lazarus raised from the dead. Big one. Then water into wine. Yes, that's two. Healed the leper. Three. Eric. What was that? Multiplied the fishes. Yeah, fed the 5,000. The gold coin in the fish's mouth. Good one. That's five. Come on, we can do better than that. Go on, bring them. Yes, Kate, healed someone's mother, had the 12-year-old girl, the little girl, raised from the dead. That's right, Jairus' daughter, Lisa. Yeah, the lady with the issue of blood, Eric. You're going to say that one. Come on, there's more. Yes, Lynn. Centurion's servant, Glennis. The 10 lepers, yeah, James. The withering the fig tree, oh, good one, yeah. Yeah, I think we got that one already, but that's a good one. That's the first one he did, actually, Lisa. Walking on water, 
Yeah, the devil's into the pigs. Good one. It's 12, Kate. Calm the storm. That's 13. Yen. Yeah, that's right. Fed the 4,000. All right, good. 15. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Peter cut someone's ear off and he healed it. Someone's ears were blocked and also tongue was, uh, was yeah, restricted. 17. The ears were cut off yet. Yeah, he healed the cripple there at the pool of Siloam, maybe. Bethesda, that's right. Lazarus, Sally, we had Lazarus, but it's good. It's the most notable one, I think, Marianne. Oh, yeah, the blood disease. Yeah, we just read that one. Good. 19. He rose again. Okay, that was worked by God, technically. But anyway, yeah, it's a pretty good one, pretty important one. So we've got 19 so far. We can bring up that little um, presentation. Anyone want to have a guess? I was praying the other um, night and just thinking, trying to recall to myself um, how many miracles Jesus did. Now I got to, um, after quite a while, I got to 29. There's more than that. So it's actually a cool little exercise to do. So this is roughly chronological order. Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding in Cana. Next, while in Cana, Jesus heals an official son at Capernaum, number three. Jesus casts a demon out of a man in Capernaum. Number four, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law from fever. Number five, Jesus heals many sick and oppressed at evening in Capernaum. Number six, the first miraculous catch of fish on the Sea of Galilee. Number seven, Jesus cleanses a man with leprosy. Number eight, Jesus heals a centurion's paralyzed servant in Capernaum. Number nine, Jesus heals a paralytic let down through the roof in Capernaum. We read about that verse ten. Uh, verse 10. Number ten, Jesus heals a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. Eleven. Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead in Nain. 12. Jesus calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee. 13. Jesus casts demons from a man into a herd of pigs in Gadara. 14. Jesus heals a woman in the crowd with an issue of blood. 15. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Number 16. Jesus heals two blind men. 17. Jesus heals a man possessed and thus unable to speak. 18. Jesus heals an invalid at Bethesda. 19. Jesus feeds 5,000 men, plus women and children, with five loaves and two fishes. Number 20. Jesus walks on water. <laughs> Just a little one. Number 21. Jesus heals many sick in Gennesaret as they touch his garment. 22. Jesus heals a Gentile woman's demon-possessed daughter. 23. Jesus heals a deaf and dumb man. 24. Jesus feeds 4,000 men, plus women and children, with seven loaves and a few little fishes. That's directly from the scriptures. 25. Jesus heals a blind man at Bethsaida. 26, Jesus heals a man born blind by spitting on the ground and rubbing the clay on his eyes. Not a COVID-safe miracle, but that's okay. 27, Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. 28, on Jesus' instruction, Peter catches a fish with a coin in it to pay the temple tax. 29, Jesus heals a blind, mute man possessed of a demon. 30, Jesus heals a woman who had been crippled. 31, Jesus heals a man with dropsy on the Sabbath. Dropsy just sounds like... I don't know, he just kind of walks funny or something, but it's actually swelling of soft tissue due to too much water retention. Um, well, that's what Google told me anyway. Verse 32, no, chapter, not chapter, all verse, it's number. 32, Jesus cleanses 10 lepers on the way to Jerusalem. 33, Jesus restores Bartimaeus's sight in Jericho. 34, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. 35, Jesus withers a fig tree on the road from Bethany. 36, Jesus restores Malchus's ear after it is cut off by Peter. 37, the second miraculous catch of fish on the Sea of Galilee. 37 miracles recorded for us. 37, 
in Bible numerics, actually a um, significant number. It's often associated with Jesus, the Word of God, and how He saves us. But there's probably a couple of others um, maybe you could uh, throw in as well. Uh, Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast from her. We don't actually read about it. It's just sort of referred to. Uh, he appeared in an unlocked room where the disciples uh, an unlocked room where the disciples were gathered. <laughs> Anyone can appear in an unlocked room uh, where the disciples were gathered. Uh, he withheld his appearance and then completely disappeared from the disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. There are a couple of other ones in there as well. Pretty amazing stuff. Let's go to John twenty-one, verse twenty-five, the last verse of John. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And all the people said, Amen. How is that possible? We only spent three and a half years doing this stuff. In fact, he spent eternity working miracles. By him were all things made. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And since he died and rose again and ascended to heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, he's been working in people's lives ever since. Probably the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. They probably need to be written in pretty small print too. Let's go back to chapter 20, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. There were many, many, many more things that Jesus did when he was here. And of course, there's continued to be many more that he's done in our lives and all the lives of those who he's worked on over the last 2,000 years. The purpose of them is so that you believing might have life through his name. In John 2, 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. In John 6, verse 2, John talks a lot about miracles. In John 6, verse 2, it says, And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Miracles are to draw people to Christ. That's what they're for. That's what they're for. Let's go to John 12. John 12, and we'll start in verse 12. This is when Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem a few days before he's crucified. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, which means, O save, save us. Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. I'm not sure quite how you get an ass or a colt, but Liam might be able to tell us another time. Um, <clears throat> verse 16, These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave, and raised him from the dead, bear record. They went talking about what had happened when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead a day or so before this. Verse 18, For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. That's why the crowd gathered, 
to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem because they heard about what he'd done in Bethany, raising Lazarus from the dead. That's why that huge crowd gathered. The ones that were there and saw Lazarus come forth went and told a lot of people, you can bet that, that, that um, you know, the jungle drums really started beating then. And a day or so later, the whole crowd is there to welcome him. The Pharisees, verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how you prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. If only the world has gone after him, it would be good, wouldn't it? We pray that that might happen one day. For one miracle, this entire crowd gathered to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. So you can see the effect. Miracles bring people to Christ. Miracles bring people to God. There's plenty of miracles in the rest of the Bible as well, as you know. Well over 100, I'm not sure what the count is. It's right through from Genesis to Revelation. God is a God of miracles. It's what he does. The word miracle, I think at least in the Greek, uh, means power or something, or something like that. So when God moves, it's dynamic, it's powerful. There's no mistaking it. You know, it's not sort of half done or you, know, you could ascribe it to something else or anything like that. A miracle's a miracle. That's how God works. That's how Jesus worked. Let's go to Hebrews 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, which was the apostles and, and some of the others, right from the time when he was on the earth. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Miracles, signs, wonders, they were a witness. They were a testimony. They were, they were evidence. Uh, they were a sure sign that God was with, firstly, Christ, and then the apostles and the early church as it spread the gospel abroad. Where the gospel goes, where revival happens, there's miracles. It's always been that way, and it should always continue that way. When the miracles start to dry up, the revival's probably not really happening. Let's go to Hebrews 13, <clears throat> verse 8. little verse here, but it's a really good one. It's a comforting one. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today, and forever. We just read quite a passage in Mark of how he works, just traveling from town to town, person to person, and he healed them all. Miracles after miracle after miracle. You get a miracle. You get a miracle. You get a miracle. Like that famous Oprah episode, except a lot more, <laughs> a lot more beneficial for people. Not a car we're talking about. Everybody gets a miracle. Come to Jesus Christ. You want to be healed? Come to Jesus Christ. You want to be provided for? Come to Jesus Christ. You need comfort. You need certainty. You, you need uh, clarity in your life. You need bitterness gone, anger gone, sadness gone, violent situations gone. Come to Jesus Christ. He's the one that will figure it out for you. He's the one that will work the miracles for you. That's what he does. That's what he came for. He did it back then, and as we read here, he'll do it forever. It's his nature. His very nature to work miracles. Let's go to Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, you read about Gideon. Gideon uh, came along at a time when 
Israel was oppressed by the Midianites. Verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. A sad little situation. It's just sort of, you know, things that the Bible's just sort of zoomed right into this one little uh, property where there's this one bloke hiding um, behind or by the winepress, uh, threshing wheat there so that the oppressors who thoroughly taken over Israel and got them right under the thumb uh, so that they wouldn't see. It's a, it's a lonely, isolated, um, sad little scenario, isn't it? These are the people of God, Israel, ruling with God. That's what it means. And here's this bloke who has to hide from the things that oppress him in order even just to feed his family. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And in this next verse we get an insight into Gideon's mindset and why he's stuck in this situation, why he's stuck in, in this oppressed, isolated, lonely, sad situation where he's got to hide to even just to uh, thresh wheat. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He'd heard about the miracles. He'd heard about the deliverance of God, but it wasn't happening anymore. Not in his control anymore. Where's God? Where's he gone? Where's the miracles gone? He used to be there. Now he's not. He's left us. Now we're, we're under the control of the Midianites. Of course, it was their own fault. And their backs on God as a nation. But this is, you know, we're focusing in, we're zoomed in here on, on Gideon. And he's just wondering, where have all the miracles gone? <clears throat> in our life, um, hopefully we never ever get to that point. Hopefully we never get to the point where we think, where are the miracles? In our individual walks in the Lord and in our life as a fellowship. We don't ever want to get to that point. Where have all the miracles gone? The Lord used to do this. The Lord used to do that. But now? Is it just stories that we've heard, you know, from years gone by? And we just tell the testimonies to stir ourselves up? Mind you, there's nothing wrong with, with that. There's some great miracles that have happened in our lives, the lives of people we know, and we should always remind ourselves of them. But we want fresh ones as well. We want new ones as well. We want this to be happening on the regular. I was going to ask for expect a miracle every day. It's a bit of a setup. But, you know, if you live for a thousand days, you'd have a thousand miracles. If you lived for a million days, you'd have a million miracles, right? So it fit the thing. Um, expect a miracle every day. Why not? Why not? Can't the Lord do it? Do you just get an allocated quota? You have to wait five years for your, for your miracle 
and then wait the next five years? Is that how it works? Let's go to Mark 6. Mark 6 verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. <laughs> it's kind of funny, isn't it? You're just going to leave them to keep toiling away in the boat. Um, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, which had literally just happened before they got into the ship, the feeding of 5,000 people. For they considered not the miracle of their loaves, of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straight away, they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Couldn't help but read the whole passage there, small miracles. But that verse there, verse 52, their heart was hardened. They'd seen this amazing provision, the disciples, uh, not hours beforehand, but they couldn't possibly conceive that yet another miracle could happen to them. You know, they're, they're in a bit of trouble uh, rowing this boat on this stormy sea. And the Sea of Galilee apparently can really whip up as the wind comes down from the mountains and like that, all of a sudden, it can get really, really rough. That's what I'm told anyway. So they're in the middle of this, this rough sea. I mean, this is no Lake Wenderee. It's not up to your hips. You know, there's a proper sea. It's quite, it's quite deep. If you go over, uh, you'd better be good at swimming. They didn't have, you know, those life jackets that you get in airplanes these days and a light to attract, what is it, sharks? No. Uh, help and the whistle and so on. None of that. So they're in a bit of trouble. And they just had this amazing provision. They couldn't possibly conceive that Christ could deliver them again. How often is our heart hardened so that we can't conceive of a miracle happening again? The Lord has done so much for us, has he not? He filled us with the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty big miracle. Speak in tongues. Every time you speak in tongues, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. How do you speak in tongues? How do you know that language? Well, the answer is you don't. The Spirit gives utterance. The Spirit gives the ability to speak. Put your hand up if God's healed you. Put your hand up if God's provided for you. Put your hand up if God's done something else for you that doesn't fit into either of those two categories. Yeah, see? How many of those were miraculous? All of them. Yeah, put your hand up. I don't know how that works, but all of them. And yet, when we come up against our next situation, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know about this one. That's the sort of thinking that we've got to do away with. It's the sort of thinking that we've got to cast out. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. Have a bit of a look at the early church. Verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, 
to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. He was going to, but not what he expected. <laughs> then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's a fair bit of boldness there, and there's a fair bit of faith there, and there's a fair bit of confidence that God will do what he said he'll do in Peter. Verse 7, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. What a fantastic miracle. And it drew a bit of a crowd as well. If you read on the next few verses, all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering, and gave Peter a bit of an opportunity to preach to them. <clears throat> Let's go over to chapter 5, verse 14. Again, featuring Peter. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, verse 15, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. This is not Jesus anymore, this is Peter and John. Of course, Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit are the ones who provide the miraculous power, but it's Peter who, and John who it's working through. Now, there was no shortage of miracles. Isn't there? there weren't sort of scarce, rare events in those early days of the church. You didn't have to wait for like some sort of rare event that only popped up every now and then. It could be any time. It could be anywhere. It could be anyone. Where the apostle went, miracles happened. Let's go over to Acts 19, Acts 19, verse 11. Uh, Paul here is spending some time in Ephesus where some people have come to the Lord, been baptized and spirit-filled. You can read about that in the first few chapters. In fact, that is the very start of the Ephesian church. Uh, and they get a letter written to them later on. It's recorded there uh, for us later on in the Bible. So Paul saw that uh, things were going to go really well. Uh, a door was opened up to him in Ephesus. So he spent uh, two years there. Verse 11, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. These amazing things happen. Um, <clears throat> so Paul, again, where he went, miracles, 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 miracles. There's a great revival happening in Ephesus, and there's miracles there. There's a great revival happening in Jerusalem, Peter, John, uh, there are those early days and lots of miracles happening. And you sort of go, oh, yeah, but that's Peter and John and Paul. Like, you know, I'm not any of those people, that's for sure. We don't have any Peters or Johns. Oh, we have Peter here. But we don't have any uh, Apostle Peter or Apostle John or Apostle Paul here. Man, like, you know, uh, maybe if Pastor Godfrey comes and visits, maybe we can have some miracles then. You know, this is the sort of thinking uh, we get into. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. It's not about the men or women involved, not about them specifically. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. 
And in those days, the early church, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. So some of the Jews were from sort of more um, uh, contemporary, uh, modern society. They're referred to here as the Grecians. And some were quite traditional uh, and, and orthodox, uh, not necessarily the way we think of orthodox Jews these days, but just more traditional. They're referred to here as the Hebrews. So there was a bit of a, a fight brewing because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. The Grecian Jews felt, rightly or wrongly, I don't know, that their widows weren't getting as much as the, as the Hebrew Jews' widows were. Um, these are the sorts of things that happen in the church sometimes. Verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is no reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So, you know, we're really busy. Uh, you know, we're praying, we're following people up, we're working miracles, no doubt. We're preaching the word, we're getting thrown into prison every now and then. Um, you know, we can't also serve tables or, or wait on these widows. Verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there's your, um, there's your criteria. Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Just a few brethren, just a few brothers, right? It doesn't, we don't have anything recorded about these people before this time. Verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. So he certainly meets the criteria. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and it's not Parmesan, Parmenas, uh, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Seems like the issue got sorted out. The widows all got looked after equally. And the men that were chosen, and there's two that I like to focus on, Stephen and Philip, extraordinary brothers in the church, from what we can tell, but they were full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. That means they were praying a lot, stirring up the Holy Ghost within. It means they were really walking in the Spirit. It means they were really in tune with God's Word. Verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, waited on those tables wonderfully. Not what it says, does it? And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. What are you doing, Stephen? You're supposed to be waiting on tables. But he's full of faith in the Holy Ghost. And this is the outcome. Great wonders and miracles among the people. Where Stephen went, miracles happened. The ordinary brother, full of the Holy Ghost. Miracles. Chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. This is that same Philip. Um, you could ask, all, you know, again, Philip is supposed to be waiting on tables. But the church had hit some persecution and a lot of them had been scattered. Now, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed, 
and there was great joy in that city. Philip, full of the Holy Ghost, ordinary brother, full of the Holy Ghost, miracles. Preach, Teddy. People coming to the Lord. Verse 12. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon, who was a sorcerer in that part of the world, himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Amazing. Wherever Philip went, this is what happened. It was led of the Spirit. Yeah, the Spirit so stirred up within himself, there was never any doubt that where miracles were needed, miracles were going to happen. That where preaching the gospel was needed, and it's always needed, that was going to happen. And that's what he did. Peter, John and Paul, giants. Of course they worked miracles. Stephen and, Peter, uh, Stephen and Philip, ordinary brothers. There's no, you don't have to be at the, uh, you know, the highest levels of the, or having seen and walked with Christ or anything like that. What's required for miracles is the Holy Spirit to really be working, the Holy Spirit to really be stirred up in our lives, individually and as a church. That's what's needed. It's the only criterion. The Holy Ghost. Because when the Holy Ghost works, miracles happen. I'm debating whether to throw an Isaiah reference in just for James. He complains that we always go to Isaiah. But we won't do that. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do it just to spite him. Isaiah 61. Not sure I go to Isaiah as much as you go to James. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Wonderful language from Isaiah, as usual. This is, this is the miraculous taking place. The oppressed go free. Those who need to be healed are healed. Those who need to be delivered are delivered. It miraculously. How? Because of the Spirit of the Lord. Because of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it works in people's lives. That's two, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There's always preaching of the gospel as well, associated with miracles and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, miraculous exchanges. When, you're, when you know, your life is ashes, how can it possibly be beautiful? Yeah, that's what the Lord does. When you're mourning, how can you possibly be anointed with the oil of joy? Yeah, that's what the Lord does. When you're heavy, because of your circumstances, because of life, because of whatever it is happening. Christ miraculously exchanges that and clothes you with praise and thanks to him. Miracles, always, always miracles through the Spirit, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. What's the purpose? To plant us, to bring us, to really establish us in Christ. That's the purpose of miracles. It's to lead people to Christ or back to Christ, as the case may be. When our heart gets hard, forget about it. Think of the miracles. Come back. And there's going to be more. There has to be. It's impossible for there not to be. Where the Spirit of the Lord moves, miracles happen. The Spirit of the Lord moves in Genesis chapter 1 and God created light. 
and everything else that followed thereafter. Miracles created everything out of nothing. It's there right in the first verses of the Bible. This is what happens. This is God's nature. This is Jesus' nature. This is the Holy Spirit's nature is to work miracles in us, for us, for others, by us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. Was that one all right, James? I didn't spend too much time there. This, yeah, it's good. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? These are interesting questions, aren't they? In the context of a meeting like this, the answer is, well, no, not everyone will do that during this meeting. In the context of our walk in the Lord, the answer is, you have the power to. It's a choose-your-own-adventure. What do you want? What do you want? Get it. You've got the Holy Spirit, unlimited potential, unlimited power. What would you like to be? What would you like to see? What would you like to do? Being an apostle or a prophet or a teacher, by the way, doesn't mean standing up here. It doesn't mean standing up here. An apostle is a special messenger of the Lord. A prophet is someone who expounds the word. It doesn't have to happen up here. It can be in fellowship. A teacher is someone who helps the older ladies that are instructed in one of the books of Timothy to teach the younger women. So we're not limited by being a man or a woman. In regards to the platform ministry, we also know the Bible guides us toward men taking care of all of that. There's scriptural reasons for that. That's a whole other talk. But in terms of what the Holy Spirit can help you to do, help you to see in your life, you've got unlimited potential. Get it. Get it. What do you want? Go and get it. Uh, verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. We've had this explained to us uh, over the last couple of weeks. There are diversities of gifts, and they happen in various times throughout the church to help edify and minister to the church. Okay? Everybody has the ability to operate all of those gifts in any given meeting. Uh, not everyone will operate all of those gifts. Uh, some because there's no opportunity, others because they just decided not to. Uh, but we can. Verse 8, for to one is given, actually uh, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit, it is given, uh, is given to every man to profit with all. You only get these things through the Holy Spirit. And one of these things is working of miracles. Another of these things is gifts of healing. If those are things that you want, those are things that you want to see in your life, guess where it comes from? The scriptures make it clear, don't they? The Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. If we want miracles, top up the Spirit. Really stir it up in our life. How does that happen? Where does that happen? Mostly, it happens in your house, in your closet, or whatever private place you choose to pray. On your knees, praying in tongues, really communing with the Lord, really focusing in on the Lord. Pastor Ross spent a lot of time yesterday reminding us about how we need to bring our thoughts into subjection. It's actually something I struggle with a lot. My mind is everywhere, except for where it needs to be a lot of the time. Um, I don't know if this is anyone else's experience, but I feel like I have two thoughts at the same time. One is the actual thought I'm thinking, and the other is the commentary on the thought that I'm thinking. It's just constant. It's very hard to get away from. 
And yet when I pray, I have to try, and it is a big challenge actually, but I have to try to bring my thoughts in to the Lord. I've found recently uh, that reading a few scriptures uh, various times during my prayer helps bring that back. Then I can focus in on something. If that's something you need to do, do that. If you're a person who can just singly focus on one thing, praise the Lord. You're lucky. Use that when you pray, okay? But when we pray, commune with the Lord. Get into his presence. Pastor Owen often says, get to Calvary. Understand what Christ did for us. Understand the power that we have. Understand God's love for us. Understand what he wants to continue to do in our life. How much prayer is enough prayer? Well, we usually say at least half an hour a day, but I think we should ask a different question. How much prayer is too much prayer? Now it's different, isn't it? How much prayer is too much prayer? Never too much. Never too much. As much as you can fit into your day, and it should be roughly at least half an hour, but as much as you can fit into your day, fit it in. Get it in. Prioritize it. Carve out time for it. It's not going to just happen. Other things will get in the way. You must pray. You must pray every day. You must stay and pray. Stay. Stay on your knees. Push through. Don't get up and give up. Push through. The Lord wants to work in your life. Stir up the spirit. It's of the most critical importance for your walk in the Lord to pray every day in that particular way. It's very easy to rhyme when you talk about praying. I don't know what it is. Um, can't stress it enough. We say it almost every talk, and that's because it is the number one thing. If you don't pray, you'll die spiritually. If we want to see miracles, stirring up the Holy Spirit in that way is the only way. Pretty cool. Let's go to Mark 16. Where does this time go? This is the last scripture. Mark 16, verse 14. I just realized, I just realized, James, you got a point. It's because I go to Isaiah. That's where the time goes. All right. I won't do it anymore. Mark 16, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Here they are still part of uh, three and a half years of miracles and they still can't uh, believe. And he said unto them, this just follows on. I've pointed this out a number of times recently. This just follows on, almost like an antidote to their unbelief, an antidote to their hardness of heart. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I tell you what, there's nothing like preaching the gospel, having a witness at work, having a witness to some family, uh, being on an outreach, door knocking and seeing what happens. There's nothing like that to really get you excited in the Lord. Things start to click into place in your walk in the Lord after that. Preaching the gospel is critical not just for bringing people in, but for our own personal walks in the Lord. It's absolutely critical. What's the point of coming here, learning all this stuff, reading your Bible at home, praying and so on, and then not actually using it? Well, we fellowship with one another and build one another up, and that's great. I guess it's a form of preaching the gospel, if you like. But we've got to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we're instructed, commanded to do that by the Lord. This is one of our fundamental foundation scriptures, isn't it? Mark 16, verse 15 through to 18. Preaching the gospel is vital. It actually softens our heart. It helps us believe the gospel. After all, you can't preach something you don't believe in. When you're put on the spot, when you're asked the hard questions, 
you really got to decide, do I actually believe this? Do I actually believe Jesus rose from the dead? Because that person on the doorstep's looking at me like I'm an idiot for thinking that. Do I really believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit? Because that person's looking at me like an idiot. Do I believe Jesus Christ is coming back somehow through the clouds and that we're going to be risen up and changed to live with him forever? Immortality? Really? Is that what you believe? Go and preach to a few people and find out. There's nothing like preaching the gospel to a few people to really solidify and cement what it is we believe. Just for clarity, we do believe all those things. Uh, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Verse 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. So they're going out into all the world, doing what? Preaching the gospel unto every creature, baptizing, bringing people to the Lord, and these signs are going to follow them as they do that. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Miracles, 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 miracles. That's what happens. That's what follows the taking out of the gospel. That's what follows the preaching of the gospel by spirit-filled people who are really on fire with the Holy Ghost and wanting to bring others in to know the Lord. This is what happens. Let's see, verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. The signs follow the preaching. Where there is revival, where there's preaching the gospel, there's miracles. And it happens through the Holy Spirit being stirred up and topped up in people's lives. Miracles are critical in revival. Why? Because of what we saw earlier. They bring people in. Do you expect a miracle? We have a prayer line every single meeting. That's your time. Come out and get it. Come out and get it. Put the scriptures into action. Put your faith into action. Put the Holy Spirit into action. Come out and get your miracle. There'll be a few brothers up here. If they're all taken, line up. Line up in the aisles, right? Uh, we, we can have the prayer line for as long as needed. Don't worry about the time. The prayer line can go for half an hour if it has to, as long as we get to everyone, as long as there's miracles happening. It's the most exciting time of the whole meeting. This is where it all culminates. The power of God can be upon each and every one of you, when you come out for prayer and you can have your need met before you even get back to your seat. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't that really make you sort of jump for joy? What an amazing thing. If you need prayer, if you need a miracle, that's your time. Come out and get it. You don't have to wait for the prayer line, of course, or you do in a meeting. But if you need prayer, call someone. Call Pastor Rob. Call me. Call James. Call Sue. Call someone. Call one of the sisters, if you like to come around and have some prayer with you. They'll lay hands on you, but have some prayer. You can expect miracles in your life. One thing's for sure, unless we're stirring up the Holy Spirit, all of us, we're not going to see much at all. When those miracles happen, publish them. Don't just put them on the WhatsApp. Certainly do that. Put them on the WhatsApp for everyone to rejoice in or get up and give your testimony at the house meeting or the Sunday meetings. We want to hear it. We want to know. We want to be excited by the miracles that are happening. But tell others, tell the unbelievers, tell your family, tell your work colleagues, 
some of them will look like will look at you like you're an idiot. It's okay. You know what Christ did for you. You've got the joy in you. One or two of them might actually catch that. One or two of them might have their ears prick up and go, oh, my mum's sick at the moment as well. Oh, my daughter's unwell at the moment too. Oh, I'm in serious financial trouble as well. And then they'll come in. They get led in by those miracles, publish them, offer prayer both to believers and to unbelievers. Offer prayer. And when we pray, we pray believing. We had a fantastic gift yesterday about having faith, just simply having faith in God. And he does amazing things for us. I want to finish uh, by reading to you the words of the song. I took my title uh, from this song. It's called Here Comes a Miracle. It says here, They followed him on dusty roads wherever he would lead. Multitudes would gather as he healed each disease. With eyes of wonder, they would watch as he would stop to pray. And when he spoke the word of faith, you could hear them say, Here comes a miracle. Here comes a miracle. Can't you feel it in the air? That look is on his face. His glory is in this place. And I know a miracle is near. I like the thought that Jesus got a special look on his face. You know, it's like, oh, it's really lighting up. Here we go. <clears throat> the lame could walk. The deaf could hear. The blinded eyes could see. And those who had been bound for years were suddenly set free. They came in desperation, the hurting and the poor. But when they saw him through the crowd, they knew what was in store. Here comes a miracle. Here comes a miracle. Can't you feel it in the air? That look is on his face. His glory is in this place. And I know a miracle is near. And still today, we follow him. We claim his word is true. And nothing is impossible. What he says, he will do. And though this world may doubt us, and though they laugh and stare, someday all men will see the truth when we see him in the air. Here comes a miracle. Here comes a miracle. Can't you feel it in the air? That look is on his face. His glory is in this place. And I know a miracle is near. I know a miracle is near. Here comes a miracle. We don't have to conjure them up somehow. Just ask the Lord. Stir up the spirit and ask the Lord. And here comes a miracle. All the people say it.